Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast. Back for another week and back doing the basics. This is an old school episode of Ranks FC. Recently, when we asked people what they wanted to see from these rankings, they asked for us dialing in a little bit, more specific rankings rather than necessarily talking in a bit more of a broad sense. So we thought we'd bring that to you this week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is my co-host, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm very good, mate. Happy birthday, Jack. Thank um, you very much. It's the big day. Um, you had an exciting morning, mate. I've had a very peaceful morning, actually. It's been <laughs> just very, very quiet. It's it's weird having a birthday in the middle of the week, isn't it? Because you're like, oh, do I do it weekend before? Do I celebrate weekend after? It's all a bit all over the place. You had a few beers at the weekend. Glad to be here with you. I had a few beers at the weekend. I enjoyed myself. A good weekend. Fulham won. Ireland rugby won. Can't ask for much more than that, really, can you? There you go. Jack's won. Jack is winning. And Fiorentina won and Betis won. It was a perfect weekend in so many different ways. Wow. Well, well done, mate. You've made it through another year. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Stayed above ground. That's the most important thing in this life that we we're still We're still going. We're still <laughs> cooking. Um, but thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Today, we're going to be talking about central midfielders and going to be ranking the best in the business. Now, mm. this is an almost impossible task because there are plenty of different types of central midfielders. There are defensive midfielders. There are attacking midfielders. There are just straight central midfielders. There are wingers that sometimes play inside. There are centre-backs that can step up. It's been a bit complicated. We're going to break it into three to try and keep it as sort of on path as possible. Defensive midfielders, attacking midfielders, 
and just sort of all-round central midfielders. The person would have CM in front of their name. They're not all that yeah. many of them anymore, although there's a lot of people that sort of fit into both boxes. So we hope you enjoy this episode, and we hope that you're not too mad. I can't imagine that it's going to please everybody. There's no right answer here. Everyone's going to have different opinions on this one, but we're going to do yeah. our best to, to at least make it an interesting debate. I imagine a few listeners right now have got a little grin on their face because they know that we're going to run into some problems, not just with the listeners, but with each other. Um, because we've broken it up a little bit. I'm going to do the attacking mids. You're going to do the defensive mids. And then we're going to attempt the central mids together and see if we can come to some conclusions along the way. Uh, so there's going to be some chaos along the way here, which might be a few arguments, which doesn't happen that often uh, anymore here on ranks. But I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be good. Um, so yeah, attacking mids, an exciting segment, sure, also quite tricky. Now, as soon as I, you know, we started putting this together yesterday, the idea and stuff, and deciding what we were definitely going to do today, um, we talked about me doing the attacking mids. I was like, okay, um, straight out the front of my mind was Bellingham. I was like, okay, where am I going to put him? How am I going to judge him? And then this morning we began messaging, and you almost straight off the bat were like, well, Bellingham's a centre midfielder, not an attacking midfielder. And I was like, uh, is he? I don't know, because he plays attacking midfield pretty much every week now. And I don't know if that's right, but because it's your birthday, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. I think you can, you have to look at it over slightly longer of a period, right? And this is where I've got to. It's not perfect as a system, but I do think that whilst he's playing in an attacking midfield right now, it's, it, it's kind of just sort of necessity. And part of it is that obviously he's incredibly good at it and we can look at the returns and all of that. And I think if you came back in two years' time and he'd done this for another year at Real Madrid, then maybe this is the point you go, okay, you've shifted. But Kevin De Bruyne has played as a central midfielder for most of this season. He's played a bit deeper. He's played alongside Rodri at times, sort of quarterbacking it from a bit of a deeper role. Yes, he still moves forward, but on paper... He's actually playing as, as part of the two. And yet it would be disingenuous, I think, to put Kevin De Bruyne as a central midfielder as opposed to an attacking midfielder. He'll be in the defensive midsection, Kevin De Bruyne. Of <laughs> Next this year he might be, yeah. <laughs> um, look, uh, eradicating Bellingham from this discussion did make my life a little bit easier. So that was, that was one benefit I've had here. Um, obviously I had a long list that I've had to whittle down. We're going to get down to a top three. My long list initially included the likes of, I had to like think, right, James Madison. Like he deserves to at least be thought of initially. Like yeah. he, he was there. Um, not going to make the top three. Phil Foden, I don't know what position Phil Foden plays, um, but I figure attacking midfielder probably, probably is best. Probably best. So he came into the thinking. Again, another player impossible to pigeonhole is Kai Havertz, actually having a very significant say on Arsenal's season in terms of his role. But oh, I find it hard to call him an attacking midfielder because I just call him more like a forward. support forward. <laughs> support, it's it's hard, not a support striker, it's, it's like a forward. People, yeah. right? um, He's like eight and a half. There's a brilliant article on The Athletic at the moment about the, the rise of the eight and a half, somewhere between, you know, we used to have nine and a half, so we played between centre forward and, and the old number 10 role. Now we have attacking midfielders or, or, you know, central midfielders bursting into those spaces, making things happen. It's like the, the birth of the eight and a half. I was like, wow, we really are oh. starting to put people in. And also it's hard, right? And look, Harry Brooks, our old friend, head coach Harry Brooks of, of this parish, would say that 
it's impossible to define players into a position and stop doing it. But in order to try and put people into some sort of natural ranking here, I think it's important that we try at the very least to put some people into a into a broad category. Yeah, we'll get Harry on soon, actually, and he can give us our thoughts on the rankings that we came up with here because I'd love I'd love to hear his views on it. Um, look, Paqueta's even coming to my thinking here because of the influence that he's had across this season, and I think yeah. what he's going to grow into uh, beyond here. But I do think there's a tier above those sorts of players and other players that didn't quite make the mix for me include Bruno Fernandes, who you still see when he plays for Portugal, is actually one of the best attacking midfielders in the game. But at Man United, we don't see that version of him all the time. We do we do a little bit. Like now that United have got, or when they have, the, the Rashford, Hoyland, Garnacho trio in front of him, I feel like you see more of the Bruno that can exist. But as soon as that falls away, one of them is missing, like Hoyland at the weekend, and they start moving things around. Yes, Bruno still had an influence on the game against Fulham and helped get them back into the game for a brief period. But... There's no consistency of performance at club level, I think. And that means that he definitely falls outside of the top tier here, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, exactly that. And then two that I'd say are unlucky not to make it for me in the top three, Florian Wirtz um, and Bernardo Silva. Um, So let's get into it. At number three is Jamel Musiala. Obviously, his position is not black and white. Uh, we've seen him plenty of times on the wings. Uh, but his favourite position is attacking midfield, and, and that's where I like him too. To be honest, even when he does play wide, he drifts inside anyway, because that's where he likes to be positioned. He likes having the game opening up in front of him from a central position. He can go left, he can go right, he can thread balls, whatever he likes to do from there. He's very fast. He says scoring is not natural to him. Um but getting in goal-scoring positions and decisive positions definitely is natural to him. It's unbelievable how this guy can find little gaps and pockets of space to exploit. It's really impressive how he can do that. Now, the thing with Musiala, you just want the guy on the ball. Like You just want to find him in those little gaps that, that he manages to pick up. Um, he threads passes through beautifully. Um you know, he's got back heels for days. He's he's lovely at just finding these little touches that open up spaces for somebody else running through on goals. Dribbling is pretty exquisite. His vision is twenty twenty. Um this season has obviously been a bit more difficult for him because of Bayern's drop off and he's had a few muscular niggles. So he's got eleven goal contributions this season, and that's quite a way off the thirty two from last season. But because of these factors that you have to weigh in, I don't, want to, I don't want it to be too heavy on how he's perceived personally. He's 21. He's a go-to player at Bayern Munich still, and he'll continue to be that guy. He's had a great upbringing in the game through Germany and English football. And yeah, I think, but for the limitations he's experienced this season, he would probably be two on this list. On a personal level, I think he's about as good as you can be at his age and his stage. But for right here, right now, Jamal Mosiala sits for me at number three. Okay. All right. I'm, we'll have a debate once once you've done your top three. So I'll, yeah. I'll let you finish it off. 
That's cool. Um, at number two is Martin Odegaard. Um, I rate him as the best player in the Premier League uh, at the moment. Um, and to be honest, he wasn't far off being that last season either. Uh, he was Arsenal's best player for most of the past year. And because Arsenal are so dominant in their play under Mikel Arteta most of the time, one of the beauties for Odegaard is he rarely has to worry about his defensive duties. Um, he also doesn't have to worry about going wide and taking people on. Odegaard really is a luxury player and a bit of an old-fashioned attacking mid that is allowed to do pretty much what he wants. And Arteta trusts him to do that because fortunately for Arsenal, he has a level of self-discipline that means even when he floats around, he makes sure that he's not doing that to the detriment of the team and just wandering forward into spaces looking for some personal glory and then leaving some huge gaps that teams can find on the counter. Um, this is a player that has been hyped for years, made his senior debut at 15, thankfully is living up to his potential. Odegaard, man, he, he can open up any defence. He makes Arsenal tick. He's created more chances from open play than any other player in Europe's top five leagues this season. He also tops the Premier League charts for the most through balls attempted this season and has more completed passes into the penalty area than any player across this season. He's got incredible vision, incredible awareness, and he's got a clinical edge to him. He's got eight goals and seven assists so far this season. He's the Arsenal captain. There's a chance he might even lift the trophy um, at the end of this Premier League season. He is a truly brilliant example of what an attacking midfielder should be. Um, and obviously, that's one of the big reasons that Arsenal are in the title conversation right now. He's brilliant. Yeah. But there's yeah. a big reason he's not a number one. Because at number one is Kevin De Bruyne. Now, this guy has been hampered by a hamstring injury for most of this season. We've only seen him 11 times. But when we have seen him on the pitch, we've been reminded as to why he is the master of this art. He returned to action this season against Newcastle, and he only played for 21 minutes. In those 21 minutes... He probably made more of an impact than any player could ever hope across the most of a season. He was unbelievable. 2-1 down against Newcastle. He comes on, scores an absurd equaliser with the side of his foot and then produces an outrageous assist for Oscar Bob to go and win the game. It was absolutely brilliant. Since he arrived in the Premier League, Kevin De Bruyne has an assist every 180 minutes. That is the best return we've ever seen. He has literally created more chances than any other player to ever play in the Premier League. He heavily outscores his expected goals, um, probably because of his outlandish long ranges that he goes for. Only Messi has scored more goals from distance since 2015 than Kevin De Bruyne. And deeper than that, no matter what stat you look at from the past year, KDB has the best numbers, right? I was looking across at like how he compares to other players, and it has it is a little difficult to judge because he's missed so many matches. But still, across the past year, whether it's expected assists, key passes, passes into the box, through balls, touches in the final third, crosses into the box, KDB is number one for absolutely everything across the past year. 
At the moment, there's talk about him potentially going to Saudi Arabia or MLS, and it's just absurd because it's too soon. Like, he might be 32, and you might be thinking, oh, yeah, he's probably, probably seen the best of him. No, I'm not, I'm not done with this guy yet. I hope we see more of him at the top level, especially now he's only just returning. It was funny because at the weekend, he actually looked a bit sluggish when he came on for Man City, and he didn't look anything like the full version of himself. But I'm not letting that cloud my judgment at all. Kevin De Bruyne is the best attacking midfielder in the game. Yeah, I think when you come to discussions like these, sometimes the best way to think about it is if you were playing a cup final and you could pick, you know, one player to be there, just a one-off, in a one-off game, who would that player be? And I think the answer is Kevin De Bruyne still, right? So, So therefore it makes perfect sense to have him at the top of this list. I, I don't disagree with your one or number two picks, to be honest. I think that Erdegaard's increased output, but also his increased level of responsibility since becoming a leader in this Arsenal team means that that rise has been pretty much inexorable. There has been nothing that has, has kind of phased him across the last couple of years. And his, mm. you know, he, he feels like the heir, the natural heir to KDB in the Premier League, right? That's where we've got to with Erdegaard and what he can do. My only qualm, I think, is at number three, where I think it's still disingenuous to have Jamal Musiala ahead of Bernardo Silva. Because when it comes to it, and you were picking a player to play in there and say the first two were out, I would have Bernardo ahead of Jamal Musiala right now. There hasn't been a season since he broke through in that first senior season in France where he hasn't put up double figures for goals and assists across all competitions. Yes, Musiala had an absolutely incredible season last year and a campaign that, you know, production-wise outshines anything that Bernardo's ever, I think, put together. But when you put it all into one place, I would still trust and have faith in Bernardo Silva ahead of Musiala. And you can say, look, he plays a lot on the right, but I can also suggest that Musiala plays wide through a lot of his career as well. So I don't think those two things come into question. When it came to it, he's still the player I'd have in there ahead of him. And therefore, I think I would have Bernardo Silva at three here behind Edgard and, and KDB. Yeah, I mean, look, he came close um, and he was the, the player that I considered most closely to take in that number three spot. It is a difficult call. Um, Bernardo Silva has a ridiculous football IQ. You can see the influence that he is having uh, especially I think on Pep Guardiola this season I think Pep's I'm going to say struggling to trust his players right now I don't know necessarily that, that that's true but I do feel like when you see him chatting to Bernardo he's starting to see him as like his brains on the pitch in a way that he has done with other players in the past he's kind of becoming like okay we are actually in a title crunch here and you are the guy that's going to unlock things for us. And I totally appreciate what you're seeing. Look, if you look at the stats, Phil Foden's been brilliant this season for Man City in terms of making things happen. Um, But I agree that Bernardo is the guy you would probably look to for that real ingenuity and that real nous. And he probably is IQ-wise ahead of of Musiala but Musiala he's older and more mature like yeah he's eight years older he's eight years older that's not a slight on Musiala to say that and I'm just Musiala's just magic like and I there's really not much between 
how you compare these. They're not really like for like players. Like the no, way that not. they play isn't isn't very similar. So it's very difficult to to say who you would um, want here at number three. And it's probably going to be um, come down to personal preference on what you want to see from an attacking midfielder. And my personal preference is the twinkle toes of Musiala rather than that of Bernardo. But that is obviously ridiculous because it's not like Bernardo Silva hasn't got no, that. That's fine. As you say, <laughs> that's personal preference. Yeah. Uh, I think there's less between Musiala and Vitz than there is between Bernardo and Musiala. That, that's where I'd have it. I, I don't think there's much between those two players in terms of where they're at, their production levels. I think you could make an argument to suggest that Wirtz is actually the most natural attacking midfielder, or at least number 10 of mm-hmm. all of them, right? In that he actually is far more in that mould of like, wow, he he gets the ball into those spaces and and he's been trusted and he plays in a system that you know allows that as well, which is important to consider. Yeah. But it is just worth pointing out that he is probably the most natural central player of the three of them. And therefore, that the, there's a fair argument that, that he might be in there there. But Equally, I have no doubt that Florian Vitz is going to be in this conversation in years to come. So I'm okay with him being just outside for now. Yeah, I'm glad actually I didn't do a top five because it could be very difficult actually to actually figure out. I mean, it probably would have ended up shaping that that Vitz and Silva were the four and five, but then three, four and five would have become so fine to separate. Whereas I think one and two are are set apart at the moment, like Odegaard and, and KDB. It didn't take me that much time really to to come up with that order. Like it was a brief moment where I actually thought, is Odegaard really going to be my number two? And I did have to consider it for a second, but I was like, why am I doubting myself here? Like Odegaard has been sensational, not just for this season, but last season as well. And actually for his entire life, back to being probably a five-year-old because this lad has genuinely been talked about since he was a child. And we've been waiting to see if he could, become the player that everybody said he would be. He's actually done it, which makes it even more impressive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No doubt about that whatsoever. Uh, A serious talent and very much a contender for the throne. I don't think it's going to be too long before he does actually supersede into that first place. But for now, KDB retains the crown. All right. Here's the thing. We're going to be back after the break to talk about defensive midfielders and central midfielders. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. I'm getting used to doing this now. I think this is the third week in a row I've opened up the second seg. Um, it's co-hosting now, mate. This is this is actually where we've got to. Yeah, this is where we're at now. It's just the two of us um, and got to share responsibilities. And that means you're doing more rankings and we're all loving it. And you are going to get stuck in now to the defensive midfielders, which, um, oh, this is a tough job. Um You'd sent me your, your long list and actually I'd done my own long list this morning and it was almost identical, but I thought getting that lot down to a three ain't easy. No, it's really not. It's really not. Um, no, an immediate shout out for Wataro Endo after that performance at the weekend, I think needs to be in this conversation. And, and the man that he played against as well, Moise Caicedo, there's a lot of chat about Caicedo's price tag. We talked about this obviously on, on Monday's podcast. I still do think that Caicedo was doing a lot of things well. It's just that in the system that he's playing in, it's not working particularly well. He still feels a little bit reckless. He still feels a bit isolated, I think, like he's trying to do too much on his own. 
But the raw materials are still there for one of the best in the business. And I think that he will continue to rise up as Chelsea do improve. I also shouted out Bubakar Kamara and Douglas Louise, who are playing this sort of joint sixes role in Unai Emery's system. Now, Louise has got forward a little bit more. Obviously, scored a, a glut of goals at the start of the season. But I think that both of them have been really, really important to the way that Emery has reshaped Aston Villa. Manuel Agate, I would have probably had higher last year, considering what he was doing at Sporting. Um, and his replacement, Morten Hulman, comes in here as well, but hasn't played all that much at PSG and has had to rotate his space. Martin Zubamendi is an interesting one. He's been exceptional and has the ability to rise higher, I think. And this there's someone, as you well know, Dean, very much in demand in the mm. summer. And then there's the man that you picked as one of the value, best value signings of the Premier League last year, Edson Alvarez, um, and Joao Polina, who are both incredible. I think you look at Fulham at the weekend and Marco Silva played two players to basically cope with the loss of Joao Polina. That's, I think, a testament to just how good he is. He, he requires two different players doing different things mm. to replace him in a side. And then the last one that I've left out of ugh, my three with a heavy heart, because I don't know, this is going to wind people up as well, is Aurelian Chouameni, who I think has been absolutely sensational for Real Madrid. I'm just struggling with wave it and there's going to be and no as soon as these three top three get read out there's going to be all sorts of arguments but he's the one that i'm most upset that i've left out and the one that i'm still kicking myself in and trying to rearrange to get it in there because i think what he's done our Real madrid under carlo Ancelotti, the fact he's one of the first names on the team's team sheet he is absolutely locked and loaded trusted by one of the greatest managers in the game he has lived up to the price tag it's been remarkable what he's done but he just falls, just falls short for me. And I love how scared you are of leaving him out. I, I, I don't want to leave him out. It's not even scared. I, I, I'm, I'm upset with myself that he's not made the top three. But here we are. And at three, I've got Declan Rice, who has come into Arsenal. And, and look, here's another one who has lived up to the price tag, right? And there were talk of Arsenal fans saying to West Ham fans, can we pay you more, all of this, all of the above. But what he's brought to the team, the reason he's not higher is because I think Arsenal's best performances have come this season when Jorginho has played next to him and allowed Rice to get a little bit further forward and impact the game a little bit further up. And therefore, there's kind of that sense that maybe he's not the pure defensive midfielder that yeah. maybe the others are. But there is something here that you're, you're looking at. And, and anyone who walks in at that kind of price point, and we just mentioned Caicedo, right, and, and how Chelsea fans feel about that deal, Anyone who walks in at this price point and doesn't live up to expectations gets absolutely slammed. And there was a lot of chat in the summer that Arsenal were overpaying for Declan Rice and, you know, the fact that he's English and homegrown, all of those things come into that. But I think what he's brought to this side, and you know that I'm sitting here saying all of this through gritted teeth and Declan Rice broke my heart. In an long, island, Jack is wearing an island shirt as he lords up Declan Rice. Know, it, it's, it's, it's tough to, to say these words out loud, but they are where they are. And he has been as good as he has been. And therefore that props deserve to be in there because his ability to step in here and, and make a difference in this Arsenal side and turn them, you know, even closer into contenders than they were last year, I think has been has been really really impressive at two uh the one that you're going to disagree with i think i've gone hakan chalhanoglu who has been revelatory in this role 
for him to expect in this. And I think that when you you see his comments this week, he was like, "Who is better? Who's better in the world than I am?" <laughs> Defensive midfield. You're like, I saw oh, that. Wow, that's pretty brave words. But he's got a point. And since he's come in here and and kind of reinvented himself into this role, Inter have been stunning. And his performances have been so heavily consistent. He has been such a crucial part of the way that this interside operates. He can do almost everything from the base. He has that ability to, if he needs to, just that Jorginho-esque recycling to allow play to continue to develop and keep this interside on the front foot. He's been snapping into challenges. The fact that they have not missed Brozovic, a jot, is all down to how good Chalhanoglu is. And he was missing at the weekend. There is talk that he might miss the Atleti game, that's the kind of thing that could turn a tie on its head. And I think that's a testament to how incredibly good he has been in this role. He has taken to it like a duck to water. And when you watch how good Inter are with him there and what he brings to the table, I think it's hard to argue with the fact that he said he was up there with the best in the world. I agree. I firmly agree. Which leaves the obvious number one in Rodri. Now, it's easy to forget now you watch Rodri every week and you understand how important he is to Manchester City, that Rodri's adaptation to the Premier League wasn't all that smooth. Now, he was brilliant at Atleti. And those of you who have been listening for a long, long time will remember that Man City were originally linked with Koke. And we sat there in the BR Football Ranks studio and we're like, what are they doing? The player they need to sign is Rodri? The player they need to sign is Rodri. And we were adamant about this. And then out of the blue, City signed Rodri. We're like, ooh, mm. it's interesting. And then he didn't adapt. And we're like, oh no, we've, made, we've yeah. made a terrible error. We hadn't made a terrible error. He just took his time to get settled in. And once he did, there was really no stopping him. It's very difficult to argue with this. There are few better in the world at doing all the aspects of, of what he does in defensive midfield. As we talked about a little bit with Chalhanoglu, but I think to a to a higher scale, a higher level and more consistently over a couple of years, that ability to break up play, that ability to start attacks from the base, he can recycle possession. There's almost nothing that Rodri can't do. And then suddenly he started scoring loads of really important goals as well, just to add a little bit of spice to to the position. Scoring the winner in the Champions League final is never going to you know hurt your cause at being top of these lists. But in terms of how important he is to City, I talked about this when we did our Ballon d'Or episode and why I had him in the top three. There are, you know, almost nobody that, that can do what he can do. And he is so, so crucial. He is the best defensive midfielder in the world by almost any measure. Yeah, there we go. Man City have won the first two categories of this of this of this ranking. They got they won't KDB. Win the third, it'll be fine. Uh and they should have had another player in there too. But um the Chalinoglu is obviously an interesting one. He's almost 30 years of age and I haven't seen as much of Inter Milan as you have. But uh, for a player that's tried pretty much every other midfield role there is and yeah. been good in all of them, sometimes you do get to a stage of your career when you have a better understanding of the game and then you drop back and it just feels like you've found your role in life. And from, you know, I listen to Inter podcasts uh, regularly talking about, about him and how he's adapted and, and transformed. And they do genuinely feel like this is where he belongs. And it's just taken a bit of a journey to end up there. Now, obviously, 
it's difficult to compare him with Chiumeni because Chiumeni is what, 24 and he has also played quite doing... a lot of the season at centre-back. <laughs> yeah, he's played a lot of the season at centre-back. He's, he's now a centre-back. You said is... He's in danger of being moved there permanently. Maybe that's dropped him down the ranking. He's that good as a centre-back. He's in danger of turning into a centre-back, so maybe he shouldn't be in this ranking anyway. But Chiumeni is, is one of the best. Um, you know, Real Madrid, France, like two of the, the, the toughest places to get a breakthrough. And that's that's the level of competition that he's consistently having to strive towards. And he does a decent job. So to be completely knocked out of the top three, I do find harsh. Um, but I understand the dilemma that you were faced with here. Um, and it's bold of you to go Chelanoglu at two, but I think that that comes as a result of watching into closely and, Again, people that won't agree with it won't have seen into probably as much. Like they're they're not a team that feature as heavily and on TV naturally, and that sometimes have to go digging a little bit more for to watch Chalinoglu. Whereas Real Madrid are going to be on TV every single week and pretty easy to find. Um, so I do think that's part of it. Declan Rice, I found it interesting what you said about him. Uh, maybe he's better with Jorginho next to him. Declan Rice doesn't really want to be a defensive midfielder. He wants to be a box-to-box guy. He, wa- he wants to get everywhere. He wants to have more shots. He wants to have more goal threat. I'm told I that did that consider, is what- I did consider throwing him into the centre midfielders category, but I think that right now it would still probably be disingenuous to do that because Yeah, I think in a year played. or two, in a year or two, I think that's what he'll be. Um, we talk about Zuba Mendy when you were doing your long list and Zuba Mendy, a player that Arsenal have their eye on. Um, interesting that, that, that they're even contemplating something like that. You hear him linked with Onana and players like that too. Um, I think they'll be looking for someone who's a good partner for, for Rice in terms of letting him off the leash just a little bit more. But Rodri is just like, again, an undoubted number one. I mean, his absence when he's not, you know, if Rodri was to come out of this Man City team now, they don't win the league. I, I, I think it's as simple as that. Like, KDB is that influence going forward. And, like, he, if KDB is fit for the rest of the season, then they win the league. If Rodri's missing for the rest of the season, they don't win the league. Like, that is how heavily those two players on their own swing things. And in the Premier League of all teams, which is, you know, it is the the toughest league like it is especially in a year like this when we've got a proper title race in our hands like the three teams at the top of the Premier League this season are as strong as we've probably ever seen um and I, I, think I think the that depth falls down I think the depth drips down the most in the Premier League that is what I would say yeah but um yeah I think that it, it's it's an interesting one I'll be looking forward to to see what comments we get in on the back of that to see how you've missed out there um look Palinia, mate I, like. Honestly, once he's if, top five, he's top five. As yeah, as he's top five. And honestly, like again, people do not know how good Jalpalinia is. Like he is absolutely unbelievable. And I, I've said it a thousand times before. I can't believe he still plays for Fulham. I genuinely can't believe he still plays for us. And I'm glad Tuchel's leaving Bayern Munich, uh, and because I, I think that he was the driving force behind him going there, and I feel like the Bayern thing's falling away a bit. 
I hope Tuchel goes to a bang average team next who can't afford him, so that there's not or just, a or just Juventus, uh, or just Barcelona who just can't afford anyone. You know, either yeah, way, exactly, either way yeah. works. They're not That's bang fine. average, but they, they don't have the money. So yeah. who knows? You know, I, I just wanted one last word on on Chow Nogli before we move on to centre midfielders. And look, we'll talk about Bayern because Kimmich wasn't in that list, and it's one where I'm a little bit torn on what to do with him because Bayern don't see him as a defensive midfielder. Now, lots of people do, but there is also this kind of underlying narrative, I think, that's going on where someone like Barcelona, for example, were were talking about signing Kimmich and there were lots of chat about Man City potentially being interested if that becomes available in the summer, what that looks like. I don't think that Barcelona, who do need a six desperately, are, you know, are, are going to understand or, or allow Kimmich to to thrive in a system where they would play him as a sole defensive midfielder. I could be wrong. It's Joshua Kimmich and mm. he has class in, in almost every bone. But I think that the idea that City would be signing him to play alongside Rodri as opposed to, as a, you know, instead of him, probably tells you just about where he is right now in his career. So I, I would have him in that centre midfielder's list. But just on Chahanoglu and Milan letting him go and then him signing... For Inter, they don't play the same way and it's not the same kind of, probably not quite the level of quality either, but it does remind me a little bit of when Milan let Andrea Pirlo go and then he went to Juventus and was just absolutely unbelievable for three years. And it was like, oh, he's probably a bit too old. He can't play the role he used to anymore. He's not, you know, the most dynamic of of number 10s. And then suddenly he's at Inter and he's just a key part of a team that are, so far and away better than Milan right now. Yeah. It, it's it's a bit different. I think the same thing as that happened with Pirlo, where you know he played so little in that last season at Milan, and then he went to Juventus, and everyone was like, "Why haven't they? Why why weren't they playing this guy? Like what 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 earth is going on here?" Yeah. And 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 that's and that kind of renaissance is very similar to the idea of what I think we're seeing with, with Chahanoglu as well. So yeah, I just, I just wanted to, to bring up that comparison before we moved on. Um, but let's, because there's a lot to chat about in this central midfielders segment. Yeah, I have a long list. You might have more. My long list includes Luka Modric, Tony Kroos, Freddy Valverde, Eduardo Camavinga, Jude Bellingham, Frankie de Jong, Gavi, Pedri, Gundogan, Bruno Gimaraes, Warren Zaire Emery, Enzo Fernandez, Alexis McAllister, Joshua Kimmich, Vitinha, Cope Miners, Barella, and Basuma. It's a long list. It's a very long list. My long list didn't include any Premier League players. I don't believe that any of the Premier League players are up to scratch to even be considered for a top three spot here. Um, yeah, so none of them made my list. Absolutely buy into that. Although I do think Bruno Gimaraes has the ability to to be in this. Yeah, it could be, but he ain't there. He ain't there, and um, it's incredible when when you consider what we've just talked about. Obviously, Man City come out on top, but there's um, a fair variation there. Um, while it might have been heavily led by Premier League uh, influences, like there's. German influence, obviously Spanish influence. You talked about um, the Italian side of things there as well with Celanoglu. Here, I mean, it's just Spain, Spain, Spain on my list, apart from like two Italians. So it it could easily be a top three of all Real Madrid players. <laughs> like, there was there was five. There was five in the long list. 
five and Real Madrid players and four Barcelona players in my long lists. At least two Real Madrid players have to be top three in my eyes. I and have then, not put that uh, in, in there, but I, I, I'm intrigued. So you will both do a three, two, one here and we'll see where we're at. But I, well, yeah, yeah. I don't have a three because I don't, I haven't separated it yet, but my two Real Madrid players are Valverde and Bellingham. Yeah. That's Valverde is the the person most unlucky, I think, to miss out on mine. I think he would be four, but what he can do that. Yeah. I'm I have, considering him as my number one. Yeah, no, like, and, and I think there's that, so little between these lot. And this is the thing we're talking about the the very very top of world class here, right? And they're all a bit different, but like I saw the other day, uh, I can't remember where, but it's stuck in my head that Valverde is basically Tony Kroos with the pace of Vinicius Junior. And I was like, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Like Valverde, it's a bit less control, but yeah. I need to go and see Valverde live because I don't even think I can fully appreciate this player until I see him in the flesh. Um, People forget about of, him because Madrid keep buying shiny new toys and he's just been there doing his business for such a long time. He's I done so much of everything. If there was like, if Real Madrid had to sell one of their gems and they sold Valverde, I feel like there could be more uproar over that than any of the others. That's how good and how well-respected I think he will be right now mm-hmm. at Madrid. His ball progression is unbelievable. Uh, as I said, he's quick. He can score an assist. He's really intelligent on the ball. Um, he's got that long-range ability to his game. He gets around box to box. And I, honor- I really do feel like... Valverde is completely unappreciated in the wider picture of the football world right now because he's just in the shadows of all these big names. And maybe that suits him. Maybe it's a bit like a Paul Scholes scenario from when he, when he was at Man United. And during his actual playing days, Paul Scholes just got on with his job. Everyone knew he was a good player, but talks about Ryan Giggs and David Beckham and Roy Keane instead of him. And Perhaps that's how things rub out for Valverde and perhaps that's why he's able to excel through the coming years. But Yeah, I don't think Madridistas um, no, have the no, same no. You know, appreciation or disappreciation of, no, of, of where he is. No, it's the same with United fans at the time. Yeah, 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 100%. Yeah. I, think that's, I think that's fair. But then you've got Jude Bellingham, who is one of the guys that uh, Valverde is having to live in the shadows of. And... Mate, it's just it's just everything. Like I obviously I wanted him in the attacking midfield conversation because of the impact that he's made. But he can finish like a striker. I don't see many midfielders that can finish like a striker. Yeah, and that's but also, why. But also, if you had to play that. him, if you had to play him in defensive midfield, I wouldn't be first. I'd be like, ah, fair enough, he'll do a job. No, no yeah, doubt about but, it whatsoever. And that's the difference here with Bellingham. And look, there was a lot made of that. Shirt number being the addition of a you know a four an eight and a ten, but considering how well rounded he is, it's very difficult to to not appreciate that you know it might be a bit of a bait story, but it does feel like it's the kind of thing that you're like ah yeah pretty spot on actually. Yeah, look for a twenty year old, he's so rounded. There's no doubt about that. Um, Character wise, he's got it all. If you think like Real Madrid, like. When you lose characters like um, 
Sergio Ramos when he's gone, um, even Ronaldo to a, in a in a sense like that big personality on the pitch and and somebody off the pitch that is not afraid to speak their mind. But you know, Bellingham's probably not as outlandish as the guys that I've just mentioned there. But I feel like he's going to become more so as he gets older and more uh, comfortable in his own skin and his own personality as a as a grade A footballer. Um, but I think that character is going to lift him even higher. The build of him and the stature of him is immense. And yet he can glide around a pitch mm. like someone who's like five foot seven and like smaller built. Like it's, it's unbelievable the way he can drop shoulders, the way that he can go in between people. The anticipation that he's got to see things opening up. And again, why I see him as an attacking midfielder, because you watch play opening up and it'll be over on the left side and Bellingham will slowly drift and drift. And you watch him and he can see the gap. He's got, and he just floats into that space and he's finishing things all the time. Like, so just, just, like, just out of interest, if, you, if we had put him in the attacking midfielders category here, where would he have yeah. gone in? Um, well, he's obviously not number one, so that's out the window for him. Uh, would he have gone above Odegaard? Yeah, he'd have probably knocked Odegaard down to the three. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think he would have. I probably I think would Bellingham, have had him at three. Yeah, it would have been a tough call for sure. Um, but I would have. It would have been tricky to to put in Bellingham at, at three. I think, given what he's done at Real Madrid so quickly as well. But so that's my two big takeaways there, and two people that I had absolutely firm in my mind that I would want in my top three. The only. I don't know who makes it from from the rest of the list. Modric and Kroos obviously are outstanding. I just don't know if right now I can include them. Kroos possibly. Modric, I don't know anymore. Um, which is ridiculous, obviously. He had the most um, yeah, off the back of the weekend where he scored <laughs> yeah, exactly. a screen to, to like win the game. Still, you just feel like at the moment he's just being managed carefully so that he can still have this influence in games. So that's still stupid. Um, and you get over to Barcelona and, and you've got to analyse their I mean, options. We talked about Camavinga. <laughs> it's just like, it's wild. 20 years old already, like another one just on the team sheet. It doesn't matter where he plays. Sometimes he's at left back. Sometimes he's in central midfield. He's just got to yeah. be in there somehow. And, and that's the mark the of just how three, good he is. Three Real Madrid players and people would have to put up an extremely good argument to convince you it was wrong. And that is... That's actually one of the reasons I do I did tip Real Madrid for the Champions League this season because their depth of midfield options is absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, I mean, there is no way that I'm letting a top three go without having Nicolo Barella in it. Because... He's the only player that I've got on my list here that plays outside of La Liga, outside of Real Madrid and, and Barcelona. I've got literally the five Real Madrid players, four Barcelona players, and I've got Barella. Yeah, I mean, on a long list, I have Vitinha at PSG, but... There, I don't think he comes into this conversation at the top end yet. I think he might get there, but right now I think he's still working his way. Zaire Emery as well, another one that is well on his way up and going to be into this conversation. He's he's on a long list. But I I just will not have that Barella isn't in here. I I think he is just one of the most remarkably well-rounded footballers. And and I think this is the mark, right, of the centre midfielder here when we're putting them in this category. What do you have to be to be in this category? You have to be ridiculously well-rounded. 
And what Barella does, you know, his tenacity, but also that ability going forward, his ability to get back and make make big challenges to be the man in the middle. He's the heartbeat in so many ways of this inter side. If Lautaro is its soul, then Nicola Barella is its heartbeat. And I love that he has just been so incredibly consistent since what, 2020, 2021, when he was, you know, the main man as they won the title, then, you know, showed it time and time again, just that level of quality. Real Madrid might be the only side in the world that Barella doesn't walk into. Mm. And, and that's because that they wouldn't spend the money, not because if he was just dropped in there, he wouldn't be able to fight for his space. And I think that his, you know, his demeanor, but also he's very rarely injured. He makes things happen every time he's on a pitch. He builds these connections, that ability to drive down sort of the right-hand side and drift into different areas to link this entire inter-side. Uh, he's just a glorious, glorious footballer. He's another one that I just don't think gets his flowers. Barella is different gravy. I think I have him at two. So where else are we going here? Pedro. A Barcelona player's got to make it. Pedri. And it's got to be Pedri, I think. I think the problem is that the injuries this season have potentially derailed this conversation a little bit. And that's what makes it hard, to be honest, because what you're trying to figure out what you're judging it on. But, I mean, De Bruyne has still made it and he's, he's only played, I said, 10, 11 games. Sure, but so. De Bruyne has had a, a deeper range. But look yeah. what Pedri did since he came in at Barcelona. And, you know, to walk into that side as a youngster and just be like, oh, by the way, I'm the main man, and then get squeezed like a tube of toothpaste in terms of how often he was played in every competition and then by Spain. It was like, oh, this kid just came in and was the second coming of of Iniesta. And it was mm. wild watching the way that he just took control of games and made things tick. He is just glorious to watch. And maybe the thing that goes counts against him here is that Xavi's system hasn't always got the best out of him. And playing him out on that left-hand side, he has struggled with it at times. Gavi dealt with that move out to the left a, a little bit better, I think, than, than Pedri did. But you know, his impact on the game when he came in as a teenager and then continued to provide for the next couple of years, it's just like he has, you know, whatever the X factor is, mm. you saw it from the moment that Pedri stepped on a pitch. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, but how are we going to pan this out? You've, you're adamant Pedri's in. You're adamant Barella's in. I'm adamant at Valverde and Bellingham. Well, we can have two separate lists here. That's okay. We're allowed to have we separate can, three, two, I'd rather ones. we count with a definitive. And we, we, I, I just don't know what the order is. So I think that's what we have to figure out here. I love Valverde. Said, and I re- like, I, honestly, I, I adore the man. He is my favourite of the Real Madrid midfielders. But it also feels unfair to leave Bellingham out of this conversation considering what he's put together this year. But also what how important he was to Dortmund and the leadership that they lacked when he wasn't on the pitch at this age. Yeah. It, it just felt like the move suited him down to the ground and he has walked in there and been like, uh-uh, my time. Literally, in many yeah. ways. Um, but it's it, it's hard to leave it's hard to leave any of these out. Maybe yeah, do you want to do a top five? Or is that cheating? <laughs> No, it's cheating. So look, Valverde's been relegated from my top spot to number four um, as a result of that. And then you've got Bellingham, Pedri and Barella competing for a crown. I think it's Pedri as... three, Barella two, Bellingham one, but 
Yeah, I think it, it probably is that the way that we've just spoken about it. That does seem. If Pedri hadn't been injured this right. year, I think he'd be above Barella. But I think that, that knocks him down a peg. And, and just how good Inter are compared to, you know, what Barcelona have become this season. And look, there's space for all of these to move around. But I think that's how I'd have it. Yeah, I think there's potential for this to go viral. Make up some graphics. We'll get absolutely battered on social media for leaving out all of those other names that haven't made the top three. And then ranks FCs trending on uh, X, mate. I think we'll be we'll be good after. <laughs> cancelled, mate. We'll be cancelled. <laughs> right. I think we will leave it there. Yeah, Please do let us know what your thoughts yeah. are. And look, it is at the end of the day subjective. We'd love to know the way that you would rank these guys. It's uh, it's not an easy task by any imagination. Get your pals together. Get your rankings in and get them over to us. We'd love, we'd love to see them. We'll read a couple out <laughs> on next week's show. Um, talking. Of that, let's go to part three, Dean, because we've got another person looking for a new club. Can't wait to get stuck in. Welcome back to Ranks FC. Now, for those of you that listened to last week's episode, you remember that Chris emailed in to get us to help him pick some teams. We gave him some options and Chris replied just saying, uh, I just listened to it. I'm beyond appreciative of you guys. You didn't have to do that. You, yeah, you did. And you put in some effort and research. I'm forever indebted to you and Dean and said he was joining the Patreons. That's great to have Chris hey. on board with the Ultras. He also told us that he's going with, drum roll please, oh, Tottenham, Real Sociedad, Fiorentina and RB Leipzig. And he said, okay. and best of all, it's the Real Sociedad play later today. I'll be tuned in for sure. And I'll be watching highlights and clips of the other teams in preparation for the weekend slate. I'm going to familiarize myself with the players. So I knew delighted. we'd go RB Leipzig. I knew RB Leipzig would be a good shout for him. It was a good shout. It was a good shout. We've now had a couple more messages on this as well. So we've got a couple lined up. Uh, please do get in touch if you'd like some help. Because even if you have some teams, as today's, as today's guest does... Um, we're going to help him out in a specific circumstance. So, yeah, Guru Wisdom that, has taken a real uh, new twist, yeah? Well, it's time for Guru Wisdom. Guru Wisdom, Guru Wisdom, Guru Wisdom. There we go. Thanks, boys. Thanks, yeah. boys. Today, today's special guest is Aidan Obrecht, who says, Hey, mates, truly love the Guru Wisdom segment on the main show this week on picking a football club to support based on things that might interest you. And I was hoping you lads could help me to find an Italian club to support, if you don't mind, as I've started watching more Serie A recently. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm a fan of Everton, Borussia Dortmund, Celtic, and of course, the mighty Philadelphia Union. I work in electrical, so I really appreciate the blue-collar background to a club's identity. Not too familiar with Italian culture, let alone anything about the socioeconomic status of the geography. Results aren't too important to me either. I wouldn't be an Everton fan if that were the case. I just want to support a club that respects its fans slash background and fights for the badge every week. I hope this reaches you well and you see it. Thanks, lads. Appreciate the show and all the work put into it. Great stuff. Great yeah, stuff. Yeah, great stuff. Really Appreciate excited. Um, Shout out Aiden. Um, one of our patrons. Yeah, so uh, I don't know enough about um, Italian politics to know about that side of which club he should support. But um, I've, when he goes through those teams that he likes, 
there's one club that jumped out at me straight away that I just see as the Italian version of supporting all of those three. I don't know why, really, but there is an attachment, I feel, to AC Milan when you consider those clubs, the ups and downs, the history, some of the players they've had in the past and traditions. I just don't know... Um, about the yeah the the political side of it all and and that kind of stuff but my hunch is that AC Milan is a good fit for what Aiden is looking for so I'll let you analyze a little more deeply because I'm sure that you've been spending about the last eight hours trying to figure out which is the perfect Italian team for him to support well I, I had three suggestions but you'll be glad to know that AC Milan were one of them. Oh, good. good they good. were traditionally the side associated with the Milanese working class. One of their nicknames was Kasiovit, which basically means screwdrivers. Right, and that was because Inter were the club of the traditionally slightly more well-off. They were also, I mean, there's, there's sides to this because Inter were the side that let people who weren't Italian in and basically globalized it as well. So there's, there's, there's plenty, of, plenty of kind of merit within that as well. But Milan definitely in this. Now, that has kind of changed a little bit uh, because when Berlusconi took over, they became more widely known, more widely supported, diluted that original kind of socioeconomic element, I suppose, of, of the fan base a little bit more. But it's worth bearing in mind that historically, that is where the club were at. The other two I want to suggest are a little bit different. One of them is Bologna because Bologna is quite widely seen as a bit of a mad city. It was the heart of the Italian Communist Party for, for a while. It's known for its academic sort of sense, and it was one of the first ever universities. It's also one of the coolest places you'll ever go. It's absolutely wild. The food is unbelievable. It's just one of the best cities you'll visit ever. But it has, yeah, traditionally left-leaning, I would say, sort of support, although, again with Italian politics. There's a brilliant book that everyone should read. It's by Tobias Jones. It's called Ultras. And it basically determines the way that, you know, the Italian football scene has swayed and swerved alongside different political ultras across the course of it. Roma used to be, you know, traditionally a left-wing fan base. It's not so much the case anymore. Um, Bologna still retain a little bit, I think, of that. They're, they're quite anti-establishment maybe more than more than left wing. Um, but one I want to consider is Atalanta here, um, who have an incredible fan base and an incredible stadium. And one of the things about Bergamo and that region is basically that it was the kind of steel or rock to Milan's silk in so many ways. There's not miles between them. They're not them, you know, they're very close together. And you know, the old saying used to go in, in Italy that if it was built in Milan, it was built by the Bergamaschi because oh, right. the, you know, the workers who, who made the magic happen, they were the, the more traditionally sort of working class families to a, you know, I suppose that's natural with a, with a rural area or more rural area than, than a more built up city. Mm-hmm. So just thought it was probably worth throwing Atalanta in here. They're also an incredibly fun side to watch. Gasparini um, yeah, yeah. has, has done miracles with them over the last few years. And whilst they're not always right at the top, I do think that there's a, a sense that they're punching upwards and the football that Gasparini's sides play is truly incredible at times. So 
Yeah, I would, I would just throw Atalanta. I think I think it's probably between it. Atalanta and Milan, but I did want to just throw Bologna into the mix because I find them interesting. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting one, like especially when you're choosing a team from abroad. I mean, one thing I would like about Milan is that you've got more chance of finding some Milan fans to share the love with, probably, uh, than you have Bologna or Atalanta over in America. Um, and also consider... One day when you do a little Euro trip, where might you want to end up? Which of those three cities? Which I mean, three clubs? you should visit all three, by the way. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely but explore. Incredible. I think a part of uh, Aidan's research should be to just have a little delve into where he'd actually like to visit. I mean, I love Milan, but, you know, the, the other two are absolutely, you know, I haven't been there, but I'm not, I'm not saying that they would not be great either. But that would be that would be part of my thinking is like if I'm supporting clubs from abroad, I do want to end up there one day. At the moment, you're going to uh, you're going to Liverpool, you're going to Dortmund, you're going to Glasgow, uh, and you need a fourth destination as part of this Euro trip that you're going to go on one day, Aiden. Yeah, you feel right. Here. Bologna fits really nicely into those does four it? cities. Actually, yeah, <laughs> um, it, it does. Actually, I think Bergamo does as well. Both both incredible places to visit. Um, I think Bologna is my favorite of those three cities. I'll be, I'll be perfectly. Oh, frank. there you go. But, um, but yeah, no, I think, I think probably between Atalanta and Milan for you, Aiden. That's the, that's the, the place I'd be going. But there's some, some really interesting stuff that we'll, that we'll send over as well. But uh, I hope that, I hope that that's fun and and let us know who you decide to go with. We'll read it out on next week's show. And well, we've got another one. We've got another one. Mitch is coming on next one. week. Um, we're going to help him pick. He's got a couple of clubs already. He wants to, to pick some other ones. So yeah, if you yeah. want to get involved, you want to get in the list, make sure you message us and we'll do our best to help you out. This could become a little business, a little side hustle, Jack. We should start charging for this. We'll, yeah. we'll pick people there that just to go across America, just like helping people. Um Maybe we shouldn't charge people. Maybe we should do it out of the kindness of our own heart, actually. That's yeah, it, mate. Kindness that, of the mate. heart. We'll stick yeah, with that. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, that's we'll, what be poor, we'll be poor and happy. And that's yeah. uh, that's what been that happy. way for 40 years. Exactly. We may as well carry on now. <laughs> and with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Aidan for getting involved there. Thank you very much to my co-host, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. And we'll see you very shortly. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen 
and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. 